All right, good morning, everyone. It is officially April 3rd, 2022. Though that doesn't really make, doesn't really mean much because the calendar is all screwed up. But welcome, everybody. Welcome to a uh, another church service here at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I am your minister, your pastor, your teacher of the mysteries, preacher of the heart, Brother Marty Leeds. And yes, I am referred to as brother now because we're all brothers and sisters, are we not? So, yes. Welcome, everybody. Uh, today, I've got a good one for you. I threw this together yesterday really quick. So, usually, I try to meditate on these things essentially all week. But um, I put this together because I was going to do uh, the Mandela Effect stream uh, today. And I'm glad I didn't because it really wasn't f suitable for a church service. So, um, I'm going to mention that just briefly, just a few announcements before we get going here. So thank you all for showing up today. Of course, as we all know, uh, church service every Sunday, 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. You will find me in the parking lot of a local restaurant in my car doing church service. Why, people ask, and just in case anybody does not know, why am I in my car? Because we live out in the boonies. We live out in the sticks. We live out in the woods, and our internet is terrible out there. Uh, I can't stream out there. So I have to come about 10 minutes um, away to do the church service. So today we're going to talk about, this is episode 14 of the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. And today we are going to talk about the astrology and divine lesson of Cain and Abel. And I said we were going to be doing um, Genesis. And I figured, you know what, I'm going to do this. I, like I said, I keep changing it. Don't hold me to these things. I will eventually cover all these things. But, um, you know, I... I, I, I after doing the, the Mandela Effect one, I was like, okay, well, let's let's touch on this, and that way we can use this as a foundation, come back to Genesis, and then sort of flow into it. So there will be things that we touch on today that we'll, we'll revisit again when we do the Garden of Eden, when we do Genesis 1, chapter 1, 2, 3, etc. So we're going to be reading from chapter 4 today, because that's where the story of Cain and Abel comes from. So we're going to find the astrology divine this, but behind this, we're going to find the lesson, the meaning of Cain and Abel. Now, just so you guys know, it's very, this story is, the, Cain, the story of Cain and Abel is extremely rich. There's lots of things going on, and it's, it's literally like the story of Cain and Abel itself is about 16 verses. And there's tons of stuff going on in this story. It's super rich, super layered. So we're not going to be able to touch on everything today. There's going to be things that I might not even mention or brush over. And we'll get back to it as well because, you know, I want to set sort of a foundation today. So um, there's that. Um, let's, um, I want to say a quick, of uh, just a few quick announcements to let everybody know. Our Bibles are in. We do have a Bible and rosary package uh, ready to go. And those will ship out. If you do order them, we'll ship out probably... Probably Tuesday or Wednesday or something like that. Um, I've had a crazy, crazy busy week. Tons of uh, psychic energy coming my way and been insanely busy editing books and being uh, traveling and we went to a show and we visited my parents and I had a job wood and I've just been crazy, crazy busy. So I need some time off. So we, these will probably go off uh, go out for shipping maybe like Wednesday or something like that if you do order them. So uh, Bibles, Authors King James Version, and they're the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. They're like, you know, they're little compact Bibles is what they call, so you can take them on the road. And in the package, we're selling these as a package. Um, it also comes with a little, uh, whole, uh, of course, the rosary. Let me show you this. Rosary Bible package. And the rosaries are really nice. Um, we, Like I said, we took a long time to try to find the right stuff, right rosaries, right Bibles, and stuff like that. Um, so th that's a package. It also comes with, oops, sorry. 
Also comes with, ooh, I'm giving you a sticker as well, pie sticker. And then um, this, it comes with the Holy Rosary, which is an explanation of the rosary, the math behind the rosary, that sort of stuff. And then also a welcome letter from the ministry, from Jennifer and I, actually. So that is all included in the rosary package. We only have like 20 of them right now. So I don't know if they're going to, I don't know how interested people are in this sort of stuff. So we only got 20 because we had to shell out the money ourselves. So... Um, I'm, I'm hoping that they go quick and then we'll have to order more. If they don't, that's fine. Um, none of this stuff, by the way, you do not have to give me a cent of your money. You do not have to sign up at the, at the church. You do not have to buy any books. Um, none of this is required for you to learn and come here every Sunday and, 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 you know, go, go through this stuff with us. Okay. This, all of this stuff is just here for you. If you want to support the church or if you want some of these things for yourself plain and simple. Okay. I provide educational material. That's what it is I do. And, um, so that's just for you. If you want to educate yourself more. Um, I also have a link on my own website that if you do not want to buy these Bibles from me, um, cause I have marked them up about like 10 bucks and I'm not into selling Bibles. That's not what it is I'm doing or making money off God's word or anything like that. We even say on the website, about 10, I think it's like 10 bucks or whatever, basically goes towards the ministry if you buy it from us, okay? But I also put a link right on my own website that if you say, hey, you don't want to give me your money, you don't have to. You can go right to the link yourself. You can go right to where we order these Bibles. You can get them imprinted. You can, and you can say, you know, I think they're even on sale right now. I bought them, I forget what they were, a piece, like 26 bucks or something a piece, and now they're on sale for like 19. So if you want, you can go right to my website. You don't have to give me any money. You can buy these yourself. You can get them imprinted right with the Gnostic Church and Academy. You're not going to offend me at all. I'd rather you have a good Bible in your hand um, than anything else. Like I said, just a few announcements too. It took us a long time to try to find the right Bibles that was like, you know, uh, cheap and that, you know, that were compact that we could ship and the shipping is... By the way, the shipping out of the United States is expensive. There's nothing we could do about that, so I'm sorry about that. We, we did our best to try to bring that down, but there's just that, that's out of our hands. So the shipping is expensive outside of the United States. So we try to find the right Bibles. This Bible is printed in China. And as we've come to find a bunch of these Bibles, they barely even do Bible printing in the United States anymore. There's a few places. And some of the places that did sell, you know, American, USA printed Bibles, they wouldn't do... Um, you know, the, the printing on the, the front, right? And so, so we just, you know, it was one of those things. We had to balance out the price and everything like that. So what I want to do in the future is actually get um, Masonic heirloom Bibles. And so if you want, and those are all printed in the United States, and it would be, you know, a gift from the church kind of thing. And if you want to get those Bibles um, for a family Bible, that's, you know, I, I encourage that. So, so there's that. So Bible Rosary package is for sale. Like I said, there's only 20 of them. If if they're you know if if this is interested, if people are interested and they want to buy more, we'll we'll get more. Um, no problem. So there's that. Um, Peacock's Tales, the new uh, last um, final edition of this, the Peacock's Tales: The Alchemical Writings of Claudia Pavonis. I just got the review copy. It's looking pretty good. This should be for sale this week. I think probably Tuesday or Wednesday that will be for sale. So if you want to buy that. Um, and if you have purchased the books before, if you've purchased any of these books before, get 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 at me, and um, I'll cut you a deal. Uh, if you want to buy the new ones, I'll I'll do like I don't know thirty percent off or something like that. I'll cut you a deal for the new books. And then I also have this coming out. This is the Marty Leeds Songbook. I don't really expect a lot of people to buy this. It's something I essentially just an artistic project I did for myself. I you know I had all the songs that I had written probably over the last twenty years or whatever. 
in a little book. I decided, hey, I'll throw a cover on it and we'll we'll throw them up, you know, on the site if anybody wants to buy it. So basically all the songs that I'd written over the last, like I said, 20 some years or whatever, or a bunch of ones. So um, so there's that. How we doing this morning, everybody? Thank you all for joining me. It looks like we got the regular the regular crew in here and I really appreciate it. Um, I do know as of the last, uh, live stream that I lost some people, <laughs> that's for sure. And I knew it was going to happen. Um, uh, I knew it was going to happen. Um, there was nothing I could really do about that. I just want to mention a few things about the, uh, Mandela effect, um, the stream that I just did. Um, you know, it was necessary to do that because moving forward, you know, a lot of people will come in and they'll say, well, what about all the supernatural changes in the Bible? What about the Lord's Prayer? What about Matthew 18, 20? What about Isaiah 11, 6? And I covered all of these. Just so you guys know, the nothing lays down with the Lamb. Literally nothing. Okay? doesn't say that at all. It says dwells with. So um, Matthew 18, 20, if you look, what with two or two or it says two or three, where it used to say two or more. Everybody remembers two or more. If you actually read it in context, makes perfect sense. Um, uh, just so you know, and I, I pinned that comment in the last video. Um, there's all sorts of ones. The Lord's Prayer, I showed you exactly where it came from, and it's exactly how everybody remembers it. So, you know, um, I had to come out and, and do that because, as I've come to find, and even some of the people that are usually here are not here today, which kind of proved my point in some in some sense. But it's impossible for me to continue to go on and do these these uh, church services. If every time I, I come on here, people will say, well, what about all the supernatural changes in the Bible? Which, by the way, when somebody says the Bible, there's dozens of different translations. So which Bible are you talking about? There's the first problem with the question about what about all the supernatural changes in the singular Bible? There's the first problem. But it's impossible for me to go on, as we're going to do today and as we've done in the past, to continue to unravel the, the layers of this onion called the Holy Bible if we keep getting stuck on these, these, you know, these issues. If every time I say the, you know, as I did the last, second to last live stream, the last church service, I get on and I start saying the Lord's Prayer as it's written in Matthew 6, 9, and then I get a bunch of people say, well, that's not true. You know, that's a Mandela effect, that sort of thing. No, it's not. Absolutely not. And it's provably not. And we can find out exactly where the Lord's Prayer comes from. And, you, and once you read it, it's exactly as you remember it. So people have a lot of assumptions, and I tried to clear those assumptions up. In doing so, I knew that it was going to offend some people, and obviously did. And that wasn't my intention. I'm not trying to offend anybody. But because there's so much psychological, you know, um, so many people are tethered to this. They, they wrap themselves up in it. They're emotionally involved in the, the Mandela effect, when you come and say, well, look, that's just really sort of illogical thinking, it, it's, it's offensive to people. It, 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 it's, like, it's almost like a personal attack, and it's not meant to be an, a personal attack. This is called truth-seeking. It's not called opinion-reinforcing, okay? And a lot of times we have to go in and just be like, look, th this, it's provably incorrect, okay? So it's impossible for me to continue on if we're always stopped and being like, well, what about this and what about that? Okay. And that's why, and also I knew that going in, I had to sort of go in as I can tend to do guns blazing. Okay. That's just the Irish, you know, pardon my language, shit kicker in me. Okay. It's the Midwest young punk kind of kid in me that has to go in. Sometimes I knew I was going to go into, as my friend said, you're going to go kick the hornet's nest, huh? Well, I'm not doing it to make people mad or anything like that or defend my position. No, I went in and I kicked it because it needed to be kicked. Okay. Um, and it's just, it's just, it is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, it's just the nature of this game. 
um, you know, called this game of life or this, uh, you know, pr- pursuit of uh, truth seeking. So, um, you know, so if I was, if I was a little bit harsh or anything like that, just so you know, I knew what I was going into and I knew I had to sort of put my, you know, my shield up and Jennifer, this was pretty shocking to Jennifer. Jennifer had no idea that so many people were emotionally involved and attached to the uh, Mandela effect. She really had no idea. And so when she was live, when I was doing this, after it was done, she was just like, holy cow, I had no idea. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, that's what it is. People get emotionally attached to this stuff. And then you sort of, you know, pull the rug out or you pop the bubble and show that, hey, a lot of this stuff that you think is a Mandela effect or whatever is not. And then people react as they did. And what was the reaction? You're an idiot, your ego, you're vain, you're arrogant, you're self-righteous, you think you know everything. No, no, what I was doing was in instances like the Lord's Prayer is actually going to source documentation and showing you exactly where these things come from and, and, and taking your assumptions on these things and popping that bubble. You know, it's no different than, and I'll, and I'll end it here. It's no different than the, than the um, flat earth. You know, a lot of people are tied to the globe. They are emotionally tied to it. They've, you know, they've been with it their whole life and it can be a traumatic experience letting that go. Well, that's part of it. You know, sometimes this stuff is traumatic. Sometimes it takes, oh my God, was I really full of crap for 10 years? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. We all do bad research. We've all made mistakes. We've all gone down roads and considered things that are, that are nonsense Everybody, including myself, is 100% guilty of that. I've never seen one researcher online who hasn't made mistakes, who hasn't said dumb crap, you know? The, the, what we have to do, though, as adults, as truth seekers, as spiritually involved, evolved uh, people is recognize those mistakes, recognize when we've done something incorrect, fix it, and move on. And when we do that, God is clapping up in heavens. He's like, that's what I want you to do. It's okay if you make mistakes. There's nothing wrong with mistakes. Mistakes are part of the learning process, okay? So that's all I want to say about that. Um, I needed to touch on it because in order for me to continue doing this and moving forward and actually, once again, picking apart the Bible as we do, it was absolutely necessary, okay? So um, I'm sorry if I've offended people or anything like that. It was not my intention, um, yes, I can be a little bit harsh. I can come in with guns blazing. You guys know that. That's kind of my personality. Um, I'm not doing that to be uh, arrogant or a prick or self-righteous in any way, shape, or form. I know that people are emotionally attached to it, and I knew I was going to burst that bubble. And a lot of people were extremely thankful. Just so you guys know, there was a lot of people that were like, thank you. Thank you for walking through this stuff and showing that, no, he doesn't say of the world at the end of Queen. It doesn't even make sense musically, etc., etc., etc. Okay, so that's all I want to say about that. Okay, let's get into, and thank you all for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Okay. Um, um, yeah. Okay, thank you. All right, so let's start off with a prayer as we do. Um, this is the grail prayer. I like this because I always said the Holy Grail isn't some magical cup. It's gold plated that was given, given to us by the Roman empire. The, you know, Jesus drank from the, the Holy Grail, the, the sacred cup from which Jesus drank is your hands. So Lord Jesus, this is the grail prayer. Lord Jesus, I give you my hands to do your work. I give you my feet to go your way. I give you my eyes to see as you do. I give my tongue to speak your words. I give you my mind that you may think in me. I give you my spirit that you may pray in me. Above all, I give you my heart that you may love in me, 
your father and all mankind, I give you my whole self that you may grow in me so that it is you, Lord Jesus, who live and work and pray in me. Amen. Okay, as I said today, this will be probably about an hour and 20 moving forward. So it's going to be sort of a long live stream. I'm going to try to cover as much as this as I can and try to suss a lot of this stuff out for you. As we like to say, I like to Jesus it out for people, right? Sunday service, the astrology and divine lesson of Cain and Abel. So the first thing we're going to do is just read through these 16 verses. And as I, as I like to do, we're going to go back and, and sort of pick it apart, okay? So this is Genesis chapter 4, okay? Genesis chapter 4. Number one, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, wroth means angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto, her, unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And then we're not going to read the rest of the, the chapter. I just want to stop where essentially the story of Cain and Abel stops. And that's at the basically the verse 16 into 17. Uh, Genesis 4, 16 says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And now we have Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after, he named the city after his son. He didn't name his city after God. He didn't, he named it after his son. So, so there is essentially the story of Cain and Abel. Once again, very, uh, we're not, by the way, we're not going to touch any math today. There's a bunch of math in here. I'm not going to, I'm not bringing up any of it today, just so you guys know. Literally nothing, which is probably why we'll have to go and revisit this at some point. Um, we're going to focus on the symbolism and once again, the astrology and the divine lesson that we can take from Cain and Abel and what this story is trying to, uh, trying to pervade you. So let's get into it. And Adam knew Eve, his wife. Okay. So 
who is Adam and Eve? Astro astrologically, astrologically, who is Adam and Eve? As we all know, Adam and Eve are the first progenitors, I guess is what you could call them, right? The first beings, right? They're the paradisical beings that God put in paradise. And then, as we know, they ate from some tree because the snake was like, hey, man, you could totally eat from that. You're not going to die and blah, 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 blah. And God's like, yes, you're going to die. And we all know the general story. As I said, we'll get, we'll, we'll revisit this and we'll go into it when we do Genesis. So who's Adam and Eve astrologically? Well, that's the constellations Cepheus and um, Cassiopeia, as we've covered before. It's a king and queen up in the heavens. There's circumpolar constellations, and those are constellations that you can see that there's, they circumpole, they wrap around the pole star. That's what those constellations do. And two of them are a king and a queen. And up in, up in that pole star, and once again, like I said, I'm just going to show you this, and we'll revisit this when we do Genesis. Um, just so you guys know, the story of human genetics is is very much um, injected or encoded within um, the story of Adam and Eve, uh, just so you guys know. Lots of tells there. But astrologically, what are we dealing with here? Well, Cepheus is a king and Cassiopeia is a queen, Okay. The king and queen of all being, if you will. Royalty. And it makes sense that they're royalty. Number one, it's the first beings that God created, right? And who? where are they? Well, they're in that paradisical garden, okay? So Adam and Eve are uh, uh, Cepheus and Cassiopeia, okay? And as we're going to see, as we've seen time and time again, they use uh, constantly, the Bible uses the, motif, the motifs of the star patterns and tells a different story. Parable of the sower. Oh, we go into, you know, the Noah's Ark. They'll use the same, just once again, uh, astrological or star patterns, constellations, to tell a, a new tale, another tale, a different tale. Okay? So, who's the serpent? So, in other words, we know that there was a man and woman upstairs in a paradisical garden, the Garden of Eden, and they were tempted by a serpent. Well, who's the serpent? Well, that's the other circumpolar constellation, Draco. Okay? So, there's your Garden of Eden. Where's the Garden of Eden? Well, it's in the center of the whole thing. It's with the Lord upstairs. Okay? In other words, there's this place atop of all of the, the structure of the cosmos of Earth in which they, these beings fell from. And how did they fall? Why did they fall? Well, they listened to the serpent as opposed to listening to God. All right. Instead of listening to the center, the, the Lord, uh, the center of all being, the center of creation, what did they do? They, they had a little serpent whisper in their ear. Of course, that serpent was more subtle than any beast in the field, right? That's what it says. It was more subtle than any beast in the field. Do you know why it's subtle? Is because the stars in Draco are not very, not very bright. You can easily see Cassiopeia. You can easily see the Big Dipper, but the stars of Draco are very subtle in the field of stars. So that's something we'll cover when we uh, we do Genesis. Okay. So there you go. Adam, Eve, and a serpent. That's where um, Cain and Abel come from. They're the, the um, father, mother, and father of Cain and Abel, and Seth, as we'll see. Garden of Eden, there it is, okay? Just as we said, where's the Garden of Eden? Well, it's in the center of the whole thing, up and above all of the materiality of creation. Beyond the dome, the firmament, the expanse, beyond that is a paradisical place in which man is united with God. And this is exactly what you'll find in some of the sketches of you know biblical cosmology. They'll tell you it's a firmament, the sky, and then up above that is God heaven of heavens if you will okay so let's go back to Je let's go back to uh, genesis 4 here oops sorry wrong one so adam and eve knew his wife and she conceived and bare cain and i've gotten a man from the lord interesting so just so you guys know it, it basically what it's saying here is um you know where do, where do beings come from where do where do human beings come from 
spirit. It comes from a spiritual place, okay? So I've gotten a man from the Lord. Ooh, interesting. So she conceived and bare Cain. And then she, once again, look at these words, bear, 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 okay? And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. Okay, these are clues to tell you about exactly what constellations you're dealing with here, okay? So we already talked about Adam and Eve, Cepheus and Cassiopeia. It's the king and queen. We all know who the serpent is. That's Draco. So who is the tiller of the ground? Cain, he's the tiller of the ground. Well, um, we've already covered this. He's the plowman. This is Boots, Boötes. It's the constellation Boötes. Same constellation is mentioned in the parable of the sower. He is a herdsman. He's a plowman. He is a farmer. He is a tiller of the ground. Mythologically, he even means the plowman. He's actually considered in some, um, he's the sower, the sower of seeds, the farmer. He's actually considered by uh, some myths to have invented the plow, have invented farming. Okay, so we have Cain as Boots, Boötes. And that's the constant. And once again, there's the constellation uh, right there, right by Hercules there. You can see Ursa Major. There's Draco right there. So Ursa Major, the bear, Draco. Ooh, that's the serpent that those... Uh, you know, Cepheus and Cassiopeia, Adam and Eve were listening to. So Boötes is the tiller of the ground, Cain, who is Abel. Abel is a keeper of sheep, right? What is the actual language? Yes, he is the keeper of sheep. So we know who Cain, or excuse me, Abel is the keeper of sheep. Cain is the tiller of the ground. Cain is Boötes, who is Abel. Abel is Origa. It's the constellation Origa. And, and this is, there he is. And sometimes he actually holds a shepherd's crook right there. I don't know what he's holding. It's like a, I forget what they call that thing. But um, you can see the, the crook of Oregon. So shepherd's crook. Now you'll see lots of shepherds, right? Jesus is a shepherd. Tammuz, I believe Tammuz was a shepherd. Adonis was a shepherd. You have Osiris with his uh, crook and flail, right? What the, the shepherd's crook, the hook, right? That's, you know, that sort of thing. You always find shepherds. Shepherd, the shepherd is, of course, as we see with the, with the archetype of Jesus, is always the hero figure. It's the guy who's, hey, I'm going to lead my sheep home to God, okay? And as we're going to see, this is exactly who God rewards, is Abel, not Cain. The crook of Oregon stood for a goat herder or a shepherd. It was formed from the most, uh, most of the stars of the modern constellation. The stars of Oregon comprised a herd of goats, an association also presented in the Greek mythology, um, he became, he's also the charioteer and a shepherd. So there's a couple different references here to what Origa is. Goat herder, shepherd, sheep herder, charioteer. Okay. Um, Origa, there's a bunch of different, bunch of different, um, illustrations of Origa. There's the constellation itself. It's actually right by, um, the cross, if you will. This would be the zodiacal ecliptic. And then the cross of uh, the Milky Way there. He's actually stand. He's actually you can see him. He's like standing on the Milky Way there, lower left hand corner right there. So he's at the Great Cross of the Ecliptic and the Milky Way. That's where Abel is. Abel, the shepherd. Um, tradition traditionally illustrations of Origa represent. It is a chariot and its driver. The chariot holds a goat over his left shoulder and his two kids under his arm. So he's he's got multiple goats or and or sheep. Now, sheep and goats say, well, they're, they're goats, they're not sheep, so why is he a shepherd? Well, he's known as a shepherd, number one, but how closely uh, related are goats and sheep? Sheep and goats are closely related. Both are in the same subfamily, Capernaum. Remember when we talked about Capernaum? Capernaum, right? Where did Jesus go? He dropped down, as if we remember in our, in our um, Sunday service a few, few 
uh, whatever weeks back, months back, whatever it was. Capernaum, the head, the head. What's the head? It's Aries, as we'll see again today. Capernaum is sometimes difficult to even tell a, a, between a different breed or strain of goat or sheep. Both goats and sheep are hoofed mammals or undulates. Um, they'll even sometimes mate. So they're of the same family, the same same reference. So um, they're Origa there again. So here we have um, Origa, which is the keeper of the sheep. It's Abel. Bootes, boots. He is the tiller of the ground. Okay, and where now notice they're opposites. In this, in this sense, Bootes, Cain is way up here, and Abel's way down here. And there's Cepheus and Cassiopeia. They listen to that damn serpent. No good. Don't listen to the serpent. You always want to listen to God. Cepheus and Cassiopeia, that's Adam and Eve. That's the king and queen. They mate, right? And then they're, they're, they, they, um, of course, they have the children of Cain and Abel, or Orega, keeper of the sheep, and Boots, Boots, tiller of the ground. Look what's between them, by the way. Looks, looks the cancel the constellation, the most notable constellation in the sky, the one that pretty much everybody can actually you know point out is the Big Dipper. Um, what's between them? It's the main constellation that's between them. Ursa Major, Bootes, Origa, Cain and Abel. What's between them? A bear. Okay, so this is the way, and they, it mentions it several times in the verse. This is these are the tells. These are the little poetic just injections into the verse they could have said and she gave birth to cain they could have said and again she gave birth to abel but they didn't they said bear why they're trying to put these things in your head what's a bear what's a bear oh what are we talking about are we talking about astrology up there okay um and you'll mention it mentions bear i think three or four times in the the 16 verses so what does cain and abel ultimately have to do with let's go back to uh read everybody's still with me here Ooh, am I glitchy? Sorry, let me get to this. Uh, 49.99, MC Little. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's very much appreciative. Um, sorry. Oh, this is totally glitching, huh? My Lord. There's nothing I can do about that. Slight glitch, not bad or annoying. Okay. Yeah, there's nothing I can do about it. Ah, oh, that's frustrating. I guess I could try to restart this. Should we do that? No glitches? Okay, let's just go for it. I'm sorry. You're going to, you know, every once in a while you're going to get me doing this. And then it's going to pause and it's going to look really goofy. Okay, I'm just going to have to go for it. Maybe a lot of people are listening anyway. So, um, and in the process of time, this is Genesis 4.3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord... So Cain brought fruit from the ground, and Abel also brought of the first things, firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And then it turns out that, uh, well, God wasn't happy with what Cain was offering, was happy with what Abel was offering, right? So what is the story of Cain and Abel ultimately about? It's a story about how God has given us free will, okay? God has given us the choice. He's put us down here. He made his laws which is actually, you know, really simple to follow. Do unto others, love, do unto others as you've done to you. Judge not, lest be not judge. Love thy enemy, love thy neighbor as thyself, right? That sort of thing. So ultimately, the story of Cain and Abel is about human beings acting on their own free will. And what did Cain ultimately do, as we saw? Well, he murdered his brother. He had the opportunity, he had the free will to do what he wanted, and he could have loved his brother, as you're supposed to do, as God commands us to do, and what did he do? He slew him, as we'll see. And we'll see what slew actually means here. 
So the free will is the power of acting without the constraint of necessity or fate. It's the ability to act at one's own discretion. And we all have free will. That's sort of the, that's sort of the, the thing that happens down here. God gives you the parameters of life to go and do what you will. And it's, you can act morally or immorally. You can act nobly or ignobly. Okay. And that's what it's all about. Now, Look, this is once again, just as we've covered before, Adam and Eve, Adam and Even, Adam and Even, Adam and Even, Odd and Even. Adam and Eve, the reason that they're called Adam and Eve is because there's many, many different layers here, one of them being mathematical, okay? So Adam and Eve is specific, and it wasn't two English chaps in a garden talking to a snake, okay? This is a archetypal story about things in the heavens. And um, they're trying to relay deeper levels of information, one of them being mathematical. That's why I said we're not even going to cover the math today. Okay, so knowing that, Adam, Adam and Eve, oh, we can, we can relate this to math here. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, that's what we should do considering, you know, how much math is in the Bible. So Adam and Eve. Okay, so what about Abel and Cain? Cain and Abel. We're talking about free will. That's exactly what this story is about. God has given the free will to do what you want. And one guy brought a shepherd, right? Brought his flock home to God as his offering. And the other dude killed his brother with that free will. This is exactly what the terms can and able mean. Cain and Abel. I can and I am able. I can and I am able. Cain and Abel. Able means having the power, skill, means, or opportunity to do something. In other words, free will. You have the ability to do something. You have the ability to do good, and you have the ability to do evil. I can. I'm able to. It literally means permitted to, able to. God has given us free will. I can, and I am able. And this is exactly, once again, the poetic little uh, you know tricks that are being put into the Bible. It's saying, what, who are Cain and Abel? I can, and I am able. God gave them free will. Cain and Abel are an anagram for I balance. Okay? And that's exactly... Now, before people... like uh, Now, people can get lost in like looking at anagrams and stuff like that and moving letters around just like they can with numerology. They can you know start using 10 different ciphers or 4 different ciphers and throwing numbers at stuff and coming up with all sorts of conclusions. And so I, I steer away from using um, some of these tricks sometimes because it, you, know, you can get lost down the roads. But when you understand that the actual names of, as we'll see at the end of this, as we'll see at the end of this, when you understand that the actual names that are used in the Bible form anagrams that have specifically to do with the story, then you realize you might have something, okay? So the first thing that we can get from Cain and Abel is, number one, I can and I am able. I have free will and I get to choose to do what I want to do. I could either go bring my flock home to the Lord or go and kill my brother. What are you going to do here? So Cain and Abel is I balance, and that's exactly uh, that's exactly what we have going on in the the in this world, if you will, right? It's a perfect balance, and and God is like, are you going to live with my balance? Are you going to live in accordance with the laws that I have put forward? And to, and that's exactly what we covered in the last live stream. What is the golden rule? It's ultimately or the golden mean, golden rule. It's a balance. Do unto others as you'd have done to you. If I do not hurt you and you do not hurt me, we're even Steven. We're, it's game, set, match, right? No winner, no loser. We're all winners in that sense, okay? Somebody comes along and disrupts that balance. What do we have? Well, that's exactly what we have in the story of Cain and Abel. We have the story about sin 
and a story of balance, okay? In fact, Cain and Abel, in one sense, is, as we're going to see, sort of good and evil. It's always balanced, if you will. Um, for people that, and this was actually just mentioned in uh, the my Telegram group of probably a few weeks ago or something like that. So people that are like, oh, why are you using anagrams? Well, anagrams is a is a is a is a time tested and uh, a method of encryption, okay? Um, and you know this is this is one this is not exactly an anagram, um, but you know this is once again a palindrome. This is sort of the methods that they use, and the, it's called the Sater Square, the Rotus Square. Rotus means rotation, that sort of thing. The Sater Square. Um, where you can read something backward, forward, that sort of thing. Okay, so. When we say, oh, the, there's the balance there. Cain and Abel is ultimately representing the balance of good and evil, right and wrong, left and right, up and down, that sort of thing. Well, this is, just so you guys know, this is the only math I'll do today. Cain and Abel, when you put the septenary cipher to that, those two names, absolutely backs up the anagram the, the, that you can form from this. Cain is 10 and Abel is 10. You take the vowels out and Cain is 4 and Abel is 4. You just look at the vowels and you have... Cain is six and Abel is six. So the vowels balance, consonants balance, and the gematria total for Cain and Abel are both what? Perfectly balanced. Okay? So God rewards Abel and not Cain. Why? As we as we see, um, let's go read it again. Let's we can go into this. Uh, I guess we'd have to go to the next chapter here. But he rewards um, Abel. He's like, oh, I, res I respect what you brought me. Cain, I do not respect. Okay? Um, first thing I want to mention is um, it's traditionally that um, it was so crazy because I did this. I, I was putting this together, and then I was like, oh, what, I wonder what, like, traditionally what people, you know, like rabbis or something like that think about, you know, tell you what the story of Cain and Abel actually means, Right? So I went online, and then one of the things that came up was uh, Jordan Peterson actually talking about Cain and Abel. And so I watched it, and I was actually, I was actually like pretty impressed. I was like, wow, he was actually saying some of the same things I was going to say today. So, so that, that was kind of a shock. I was actually, he actually did a really good job of explaining Cain and Abel, um, uh, which was yeah inter interesting. So, so Christy C, just so you, just so you know, you might be incorrect here, or you might be correct here. Maybe I'm I'm wrong here. So. But he mentioned this, Jordan Peterson actually mentioned this, that in the, traditionally, the firstborn would be the one that would be bequeathed all, like if you were going to pass down of, you know, like if you're, if you were a family of carpenters or something like that, and your dad had the carpentry business, he would pass it on to his firstborn. Or in royalty, the firstborn, first male would be the king, right? And so here you have Cain being the firstborn, and Abel the secondborn, and God is like, oh, I'm going to reward Abel and not Cain. So the first thing, traditionally, Cain would be like, wait a second, I was, I thought I was supposed to get all the specialty, I thought I was supposed to be the royal, I thought I was supposed to get all of the, the treasures and stuff like that. So immediately there's a jealousy angle here with Cain and Abel going on. So, so God rewards Abel and not Cain. Why? Okay, well, the first thing is Abel, he brought of the firstlings, once again, all of these things, firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. Well, Cain, Abel, excuse me, Abel brought what? What's the first house in your tropical zodiac, which is considered, in this sense, March or Aries is always considered what? The beginning of the year, okay? 
In fact, when you make March 1, April 2, May 3, when you get to September, sept means seven, that becomes the seventh month. Oct means eight, that becomes the eighth month. Nov means nine, that becomes the ninth month. Dec means 10, that becomes the 10th month. The first month of in the zodiac is where the sun rises in the east is Aries. So the first thing is Aries. So Abel brought what? He's the keeper of the sheep. He's representing the shepherd. And he's bringing what? He's making an offering to the Lord. Where does the Lord sit? On high. That's where the Lord sits. Okay? So Abel is bringing the meat, the fat, the firstling of his flock. That's what he's offering God. So this is a reference to the constellation Aries. Not only in Auriga, the shepherd, but as well, it's the first thing. The first house of the zodiac. So Abel also brought of the first thing of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel for his offering. He didn't respect Cain. We'll see why. So what did he, what did Abel bring on high as an offering to the Lord? He went up into the vessel of the human being. He went to the top and he's like, I'm going to bring you the sheep. I'm going to bring you the lamb. I'm going to bring you the sacrifice of the shepherd, the shepherd's sacrifice, just as Jesus Christ himself is represented as the sacrificial lamb that God sacrificed for humanity once again, a reflection of the same story. What is Abel doing? He's bringing that sacrificial lamb up to God and saying, here, God, here's what I've done on earth. When time, as it says, it says uh, in the process of time, as it says, let's read it. So here we have Cain and Abel living in time and in process of time, it came to pass. So throughout time, Cain and Abel were doing, having free will on earth, and then it was time to go make an offer to the Lord. And what did Abel bring? He brought him some sheep. He brought him right up to the tippy top of his head where the Lord sits, and he's like, here, have my sheep. Okay? Now, what did Cain bring? He brought the fruits from the ground. Now, fruits is symbolically and even, you know, defined as the result or reward of work or activity. So, in other words, you had free will to do whatever you wanted to do down here, and the fruits of your labor will be judged by God. So, what did Cain bring? He brought up the fruits of his labor. Now, it's often, fruit is often associated with abundance. It has a dual aspect, like, just like many symbols have a polyvalent sort of, you know, meaning. There's many meanings. So fruit can be associated with abundance, good uh, fertility, plenty, harvest, that sort of thing. But fruit can also be what? Represents earthly pleasures, overindulgence, and temptation, sin. It's exactly what it's uh, representing in this context. Hence why God's like, no, Cain. Okay? So what was the fruits that Cain brought up to God? Well, they were fruits of the earthly material world, okay? Abel brought up the metaphysical, brought up the spiritual, brought up the morality. Cain was bringing up what? Fruits from the ground. And that's exactly how it's, how it's worded, okay? It says, hey, Cain brought up, brought of the fruit of the ground. It's not what Abel did. Abel brought what? The metaphysical, the spiritual. He brought the sheep, the first thing, brought that up to the Lord. That's not what Cain did. Cain spent his free will and his time on earth indulging. Cain, you know, in this sense, 
Abel was a simple man that lived out in the fields and he worked his ass off and he was constantly meditating on the Lord, constantly being in the way, the truth, and the life, constantly living in balance and harmony with the creation. Not Cain. Cain was like, ooh, I think I'm going to need that fourth vehicle. You know, I'm going to need the eight-car garage and, you know, I'm going to have to go dine at the best places in the world and stuff like that. And when I'm not rewarded for those things, I'm going to be full of jealousy and anger and rage and vitriol. Okay? So, once again, the firstborn of the flock, the fat portions basically means the best part of the animal. So this is all symbolic language to say, I brought the best I could possibly bring to you, Lord. And I didn't bring it from the fruits of the earth. I didn't go around and be like, look how rich I am. Look at it. I've got four snowmobiles and three trucks. And, you know, I drive around in my Rolls Royce and I only eat at the fanciest of restaurants. Nope. He was just living in harmony with the creation. God's perfect creation. No love in Cain's offering. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So let's keep reading here. So, and the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? Why are you angry? He's asking Cain this. He's like, why is he asking this? He's like, why are you angry? You knew the terms. You knew what you had to do. You knew you were to live in balance. You knew you were to be moral. You knew you were to be giving. You knew you were to be compassionate. You knew you were to seek truth. In every facet and every, you know, every way you possibly could. And you didn't. You knew the terms. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? Why are you angry, dude? And why is the countenance fallen? Countenance, by the way, countenance. Look at the language that they're using. Countenance. Is there some math there? Like I said, I'm not even going to go into the math today. But uh, countenance is a person's, a person's facial, a person's face or facial expression. In other words, he was angry and he's like, Ugh. He's mad at God. That's not going to end well, you know. So, um, and then God says, you knew the terms, dude. If you do us well, if thou do us well, shall thou not be accepted? Here, I gave you free will. I can, and I am able. And I gave you free will to do what you want to do. And what did you do? Well, you screwed up. And if thou does not do well, sin lieth at the door. You knew the terms. You do well down here. You get rewarded. You don't do well, you don't get rewarded. Okay? So here, he would, you know, Cain, I, I, what, look how well I did materially down here, God, in the process of time. You're going to reward me. And then get, God's like, no, I don't, I don't have respect for that at all. Then he gets pissed off, angry, face fallen. And what do we have? So, Cain, then, um, oh, uh, let me finish this. So Genesis 4, 7. If thou doest well, shall, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. He's saying, God is saying, I'm going to give you whatever you desire. If you want to roll around in sin and pornography and materiality and, you know, me, me, me and narcissism and all this sort of stuff. If that's what you want to do, that's your desires. Go ahead. Have at it. Have a good time. But guess what? Those desires are going to rule over you. Now, if you do well and you want to live in harmony with nature and, and, and God's laws and, and have respect for all of humankind and, and go to, you know, rebuke the evil and all this sort of, sort of stuff. If you live in harmony of, with, with my law, my laws, guess what? You're going to get what you desire, which is what? Salvation. 
Whatever you desire, that's your free will. You get to choose. So he's already, so Cain's already angry as hell, okay? So Cain went and talked to his brother. Now, we have no idea what he said. I don't know if he gave him the passcode to, um, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog or anything like that. We really have no idea. Um, so up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, select, start. Or was that the one for, anyway. And Cain talked with, but I should stop making stupid jokes. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. We have no idea what he said. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. He slew him. Now, they could have said, and he murdered him, and he killed him, and he raped him, and he knocked him on the head with a rock, or he stabbed him in the back. We have no idea actually how he killed him, except he slew him. This is specific language being used, as I'll show you in just a second. Okay? So really what we have is the first breaking of law. Now, of course, um, and by the way, once again, um, at, um, Jordan Peterson actually mentioned this, and I was actually, was actually really surprised. I was like, okay, wow, cool. You're actually getting this, okay? So, it's it's not really the first murder. It's not the or the first. Um, it's the first murder, but this is the first instance in which the law is broken. Now, this is not exactly true because, of course, Adam and Eve broke the law too, right? They were listening to the serpent as opposed to God, so they broke the law. But where did they break the law? They broke the law in the paradisical garden, okay? So they were these sort of metaphysical beings, and then they fell into materiality, but how did they fall into materiality? They broke the law in a metaphysical place. So this is the first time in which physical beings on the earth broke the law. And it's essentially the retelling of a story, you know? Instead of listening to me, the Lord, what did you do? Well, you listened to a damn serpent. You, li you know, you listen to your own ego. You listen, you know, the, you, you, you know, the self-righteousness, the jealousy, the anger, the rage. That's what you were following. So this is the first instance in which the law in materiality, that is to say, the first murder. This is the first murder, okay? Um, so once again, Adam and Eve, yes, they broke the law, but that was in the garden. That's up there. So, okay, so I just want to make that clear. So Cain slew Abel. Okay, well, Cepheus, Cassiopeia, Adam and Eve. There's the serpent, Draco, okay? These are the mother and father of all being. She, in fact, Eve is called the mother of all living, okay? It's the queen of all living, if you will. She's upstairs in the canopy of the stars. So Cepheus and Cassiopeia, Adam and Eve, they made it. And what did they do? They made Cain, Boots, and Abel, Auriga. Auriga. So Cain and Abel. So Cain slew Abel. Well, what does slew mean? It means to turn swing or twist that's what the word means and it's of an unknown origin and it's a nautical word it's a nautical word so cain slew abel what are, what are the stars doing first off what are the stars just as genesis tells us about a few chapters before waters above and waters below that's why they call them astronauts nautical right this is all they're all mocking us by the way mocking us like crazy um, they're floating around up, up, up in the canopy of the stars, right? They're nautical terms. That's exactly what it is. And that's why we talk about when Argo Navis and, and, uh, you know, the, the, basically a big boat upstairs in the heavens, sailing the river of the Milky Way. So what did Cain do? He turned, he swung, he twisted. It's exactly what the stars are doing. Boots is going from here and going like this. So he, Cain, came and slew up in the waters of heaven, a nautical word, he turned, he swung, and he twisted, and he killed Abel. 
And this is why we don't, you know, this is why the Bible's not telling you how it happened. Because they're trying to get you to understand where the story is actually taking place. Upstairs, in the waters, above. Okay? So Cain and Abel, does everybody get that? glitchy. That's unfortunate. I'm going to try to work on my internet situation. So, okay, so let's keep moving. So what does this Cain and Abel ultimately represent? What does the story represent? It's the duality that we face down here. It's no different than a few chapters before they said, hey, you ate from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil and now blah, 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 blah. Good, evil. Man, woman, up, down, left, right, forward, reverse, um, you know, whatever, uh, Shiva, Shakti, uh, Occidental, Oriental, right? All of these different uh, sun, moon, this is the duality that we face down here. And in the in the ter terms of free will, we have to balance these notions of, hey, we're, you know, we're constantly inundated by or constantly given the opportunity, the free will, I can and I am able to do what? I can perform good here and I can follow God's laws or I can perform evil. Cain is evil. He's selfish. He's ignoble. He's of the material world. He's a materialist in that sort of sense. Okay? He's not following God's laws. What's Abel doing? He's the shepherd. He's bringing his flock home. He's good. He's not, he's not evil. He's good. He's not selfish. He's selfless. He's not ignoble. He's noble. He's not not following God's law, right? He's, he's following God's laws, okay? This is what this duality represents, okay? Now, as we see, the first thing, um, Cain talked with his brother and he slew him, right? Rose up against him, they were in the field. Where were they? They were the, in the field of stars. And he slew him. He turned. He swung. He twisted. A nautical term. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel? So then now the Lord's asking him, By the way, Cain just murdered his brother. All right? So Cain, obviously, this is sitting in his subconscious, right? It's like, hey, Jennifer. A little inside joke. It's like, so uh, when, when did you kill him? Oh, geez, I just, I don't remember. I just, I, I have no idea what happened. I mean, so long ago, I just have no idea. Jennifer's laughing her ass off right now. Um, so he, he just murdered his brother. Obviously, he remembers it. It's probably imprinted on his brain. And he's like, oh my God, I can't believe what I did. And so what is the first thing he does? He lies to God. And the Lord said unto Cain, yo, where's your brother? And he said, I don't know. Uh, I, I know not. And then in this sort of, I mean, this is extremely arrogant in one sense. If you read it in this, in this sort of context, it's like, Hey, where's your brother? What happened to him? Well, I don't know. As if God doesn't know what happened as if God does not see all things. Of course he does. Um, he says, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? I don't know where he is. What am I supposed to, am I responsible for my fellow man? Okay, so uh, am I my brother's keeper, a person who manages or looks after something or someone? Well, yes, you are your brother's keeper. It's the law. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, what do you think you're supposed to do with your brother? If you fulfill the royal law, royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is no different than do unto others as they have done to you. Just another way of saying, 
maintain that balance. Maintain that balance down here. Don't constantly throw a negative at someone. You have to love the people. Your brother. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But thou shalt not avenge. Thou shalt not seek vengeance. Thou shalt not seek revenge. Revenge is in the Lord. Lord has the revenge. Not bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Once again, you're supposed to love your neighbor as thyself. What are you supposed to do to your kin, your family member? Thou shalt love thy neighbor. Mark 12, 31 says, and the second is like this, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So essentially there is one commandment, love. And he broke it. Killed him in the field of stars, slew him. Um, just so you know, this uh, Cain is also, a, 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 many people probably know this. Um, we read this, or at least tried to read it when we were like younger. It's Beowulf. It's a very famous poem, right? Um, allegedly written in the 700s or thousands. Who, who knows, right? Uh, but Cain is actually a, a character in the, in the, in the poem Beowulf. Um, killing his uh, brother Abel, the first murder, essentially. And just so you know, killing your kin was the greatest sin in Anglo-Saxon culture. And it, you know, it stems essentially from this, uh, this story, or this story is reflective of this notion that it's like, hey, man, you know, it's one thing to kill your neighbor. That's, you know, that's a crazy sin, but you killed your brother? So what is, what is it being established here? The, the most egregious transgression that you could make down here and up there. That's what Cain is representing, okay? So now after he did this, uh, Genesis 4.11 says, And now art thou cursed from the earth. So he's cursing him from the earth. And the earth, listen to this, which hath opened up her mouth, all of a sudden earth has a mouth now, and receive as if, you know, just like you receive a gift, earth is now receiving thy brother's blood from thy hand. Now when thou tillest the ground, he's saying this to Cain, it shall not henceforth yield unto her the strength. So in other words, when you act now, the earth itself is going to respond to your immorality. Think about that. This is so, this this uh, this event was so um, cosmically traumatic. It's been imprinted into nature itself, is what it's saying. Earth, the material nature, opened up and received the blood. It's remembering this great transgression, this great murder against God. Okay, and now it now it's going to respond to that, okay? A fugitive and vagabond that shalt thou be in the earth. This is a reference to, once again, this was such a transgression. This first murder was like, oh my God, it reverberated throughout the cosmos. The earth is opening up and receiving this blood. So it's a memory of what's going on, okay? And it, now the earth is going to respond and saying, hey, if you go to till the ground, it's not gonna be the same as if that person over there tills the ground. Does everybody get what's being said here, okay? What's the, what's the line before this too? Uh, Genesis 4.10 says this. And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. So now this blood that's going into the ground is crying out. Okay? These are all personifications. What's happening here is basically telling you about you could say the all-seeing eye of God. You could, there's a bunch of different terms you could throw at this, but it's called the Akashic Records. The Akashic Records are a compendium of all the universal events, thoughts, words, emotions, and intent ever to have occurred in the past, 
present or future in terms of all entities and life forms, not just human. It's a record. It's in other words, God is watching everything that's going on here. Everything, every thought that goes through your head, everything that you've ever done, every stupid decision you've ever made, every regret that you ever did, any time that you were a jackass and he's making a mark, he's making a list, he's checking it twice and he's going to find out who's naughty and nice. He's going to find out who's Cain and who's Abel, okay? Um, lots of some of the greatest theosophists and things like that, they, they understood this, right? They understood this general principle. And of course, immediately Wikipedia's like, there's no scientific evidence of this or things like that. But one of the guys was, of course, um, Mr. Steiner there, Mr. Rudolf Steiner, talked about the Akashic Records. What is this? It's Once again, that's just a different term to say what? God is watching everything and recording everything. There is a memory in nature, okay? This is no different than what the all-seeing eye of God is saying. All-seeing eye of God is the three points of the triangle becoming one ultimate God, one unified being. It's the Trinity, once again. Three becoming one, tri-unity, tri-unity, three becoming one. What is the all-seeing eye of God doing? It's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresence. It's omnipotent, all-powerful. It's omniscient, everywhere at once, or uh, excuse me, omniscient means uh, all-knowing. And omnipresent means he's everywhere at once. God's all-knowing, he's everywhere at once. And he's all-powerful. He sees everything. He remembers everything. And that's it. Okay? So this is what the, the poetic language is referencing here in this. It's like, hey, the earth is personified now. And it's opening up and it's going to receive the, this, this absolutely cosmic tragic event of Cain killing Abel. And it's going to respond to this now. Okay? The next line is, and Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. It could have said my punishment is greater than I can handle. There's a, there's a 10,000 ways that they could have said that sentence. Like, oh, I just can't handle this. It's like, it's too much for me to, to shoulder God. There's a, you, know, you, could have, you could have poeticized this in a billion different ways. But what are they doing there? They're injecting these terms. Bear. Oh, he bear this and he bear this. Why? Because it's trying to tell you about where you are. Right? Uh, where am I? You get it, right? I don't need to show that again. Um, Cain and Abel. Oh, there you go. There. Cain and Abel. Bear. What's between Cain and Abel? It's a bear. It's a big bear. So, um, the punishment is greater than I can bear. Why? Because he's going to be punished eternally, right? But because what he did reverberated out throughout the cosmos. Okay. So just so you guys know, these are, there's little tells and this is, they do this in classic works of literature all the time, right? Um, where there's, there's things that are put, uh, there's um, what we could call literary devices or tools or methods that are being used in the writing to try to help you understand what it is you're reading. And once again, as somebody who studied like classical works of literature and things like that, that's poured over James Joyce and things like that. These are, these are all over things like Shakespeare and, you know, some of the greatest, you know, uh, you know, once again, uh, writers of all time use these things. And so then you see them in the Bible and what they are is to try to tell you, to try to help you understand what it is you're reading. And that's not a history book. It is a timeless history, uh, uh, timeless book is really what it is. So you have these terms where like, oh, the earth opened up her mouth and received the blood. And then the earth is responding as if it's a person 
Like, oh, now we're not, I'm not going to give you strength, okay? What's the other one here that they show? Um, sorry, I've already lost it here. Is it this one? Oh, yes. The All of a sudden, Cain's uh, or Abel's blood has a voice and is crying. Does blood cry? No. No, they're personifying. So all of these are literary devices. And I actually wrote about this in the book, Lord Jesus Christ. Um, they're, they're injecting these classic literary devices to help you understand what you're reading. So personification. Personification is when a non-human figure or other abstract concept or element is described as having human-like qualities or characteristics. The earth has a mouth. It's responding like a human being. It's receiving the blood, right? Anthropo so we already see personification. Um, and I even say Genesis 4.10, here we said, and he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth for me. Does blood cry? Does, 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 it, does blood speak? No. These are literary devices to help you understand what it is you're reading. Anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism occurs when something non-human, such as an animal, a place, earth, or inanimate object behaves in a human-like way. Does a talking serpent in a mythical garden sound familiar to you? Now we have a talking serpent. Why are they using one of the first, you know, themes of the Bible is a talking serpent. Why did they put that in the story? So that you'll understand what it is you're reading. Um... A euphemism is the substitution of a cultured or a less offensive term for a harsh one. We already saw this one. Um, Adam lay with his wife Eve, right? And he became pregnant. What's, what does he actually say in uh, Genesis here? Uh, what is this one? It says, and Adam knew Eve, his wife. That's just a nice way of saying they copulated. They got together and did the hanky-panky. They got down, right? They could have said, and Adam had sex with his wife Eve. And Adam procreated with his wife Eve. They could have easily said any of those things. And some of these terrible Bible versions, that's exactly what they do. They use language like that. Not specifically, but like that. Where they simplify these things. And then what happens? You lose the you lose the whole point of them saying Adam knew Eve. They're trying to tell you they're injecting literary devices to help you understand what it is you're reading. Uh, small acts, more good stuff in there. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <clears throat> Thank you all for joining this morning. I really appreciate it. I'll try to work on my internet situation. <laughs> it is what it is. Okay, so let's move on. Everybody get what, what what's happening thus far, okay? So um, now Cain is a fugitive and a vagabond now. So God is like, oh, he's like saying, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, you are. Absolutely. You're supposed to love your neighbor. You're supposed to take care of humanity, Okay. So now he becomes, he becomes a fugitive and a vagabond. Fugitive is a person who has escaped from a place or is in hiding. A vagabond is a person who wanders from place to place without a home or job. Well, Boots, Bootes, who is the tiller of the ground, is Cain. And what is he now? He's, <laughs> he's, escaped. He's, he's, um, he's escaped from a place. So, um, well, I mean, he's, well, he's a fugitive. We all know what a fugitive is. He's running from the law. He's running from the law. The very thing he broke. He's a vagabond, a person who wanders from place to place without home or a job, right? So now Boots, who can't till the ground anymore, or when he does, nothing's going to come up because the earth is responding to his transgression against God. What is he doing? He's revolving up in the heavens, 
He's a, he's a vagabond. He's going from place to place. He has no home. The home is in the center of the stars above. The home is always with God and the Lord. End of story. Full freaking stop. Where is Cain doing? He's running around. He's a vagabond. He's going from place to place. He's over there. There's Boots. Oh, and now he's over here. And now he's going over here. He can't find his home. His home is in the very center with the Lord. That's where Abel is. Abel brought his sheep home. Now, notice the language that's being used here. These are all these little instances in which the Bible is trying to tell you where Boots, Cain, actually is. <clears throat> Cain's like, oh, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Yeah, because the pun you did the greatest transgression of all time. It was the first murder, and you murdered your brother, and now it's reverberated all throughout the cosmos, cosmos right? And he says, Behold, thou has driven me, meaning God, has driven me from the face of the earth. So now he's no longer on the face of the earth. What is the face? Face is geom. Once again, so much math here and we're not going to even cover it, but face is a geometric term. So when we talk about a polyhedron, right? Like a polyhedron is, well, like all the platonic solids would be polyhedron, dodecahedron, octahedron, um, uh, hexahedron, right? Hedron is head, that's what it means. So it's like, so a polyhedron would be many heads, many faces. And that's exactly the term of the face of an object, like the face of a cube, that would be the poly many hedra head face. So now we have here, you, God, has driven me out, so out from the face of the earth. In other words, we live on a flat plane. We live on a flat plane, and this is the face of the earth, the flat plane of the earth. Now, Cain's no longer on the earth. He's driven from it. That's exactly what it's saying. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face, he's saying this to God, and from your face, he's not saying the face of the earth, he's saying your face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and vag vagabond in the earth. So now he's driven from the face of the earth and he's a fugitive and vagabond in the earth. Okay? Once again, extremely important that we pick apart the language so we understand what's going on here, okay? In means to be enclosed or surrounded by something. So he's a vagabond in the earth. He's a vagabond in the earth. But he was driven from the face of the earth. Just as it says, from means indicating the point in space. Where, how do you establish space? Three-dimensional, X, Y, Z. At which a journey, motion, or action starts. So he's driven from the face of the earth, from the plane. But he's also in the earth and he's a vagabond. Well, where is Cain here? perfectly represents to tell, once again, all of this really nuanced language to help you understand where Cain is. He's not on the face of the earth tilling the ground anymore, right? He's tilling the ground in the field of the stars above, and he's not going to get anything from it because the earth is already represent. They're already, earth in that sense, personified, is already, you know, if you will, punishing him in that sort of sense. You're not going to get anything. So he's driven from the face of the earth, but he's in the earth. 
He's in the earth, which means he's inside of the earth, in the dome of the earth, boots, vagabond, going around and around and around, not having his home with God, and he's driven from the face of the earth. All of this language to help you understand what it is you're reading. All of these terms, in, from, slew, um, um, bear, Eve, bear this and bear this, and oh, it's, it's too much to bear. And then you look at the constellation, the main constellation that's between Origa and Boots. What is it? It's a big bear. Okay. So, um, let's keep, so let's keep reading here. I want to make sure I don't get ahead of myself. So, and it came to pass that, so then it goes, then it says this. Okay. Let's read again. Genesis 4.14. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from the face I shall be hid, and I shall be a few, and why is he hid from the face? The, where's God's face? Well, it's up in the set, it's up, it's top, it's beyond the dome, Right? And I shall be a fugitive and vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. It shall come to pass that people, in other words, people, people are, as after time, that says, and it shall come to pass after a certain amount of time that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. So all these people that see Boots, Cain, are going to want to slay him. Why would they want to slay him? Well, I don't know. Maybe because he made the first transgression against God in the material realm. And so everybody would be like, oh, it's your fault. You, you're the one that brought me down here into this, into this, you know, good and evil and duality and all these questions and things like that. I'm going to go seek vengeance for the Lord. I will have revenge and I'm going to slay Cain. Right? And then God's going to reward me. Okay? That's why they want to slay him. And of course, we know the term, or at least I'm sure many, many people are familiar with the terms of like raising Cain, right? Raising Cain is an idiom. What's an idiom? It's a word or group of words or a phrase that has a figurative meaning that's not easily deduced from its literal meaning. Well, I mean, this is Cain and Abel to a frickin' T. You have these, all these terms and things like that, and they're not, it's not easy to really pick this apart. It takes a lifetime of study to try to understand what's going on in Cain and Abel, right? And to raise Cain means to, you know, it's just like, you know, it's like my, I think I'm sure my mom has said this many times, like raising Cain, you know, you're raising hell. Okay. To raise Cain means to cause a commotion, to create a disturbance, to make trouble. Okay. That's, that's what it is. So, um, so here we have, we see what, um, you know, we see what's going on. It's like, oh, well, why would anybody want to slay Cain? Because he made the first transgression. He was the first murderer. It's like, oh God, I would, you know what? I'll, I'll do well by bringing home my sheep and I'll go murder this guy. And God's like, no, you won't. In fact, I'm going to protect him. Wait, what? Wait, wait a second though. Why would you protect Cain? Like he, he transgressed against you. He's a freaking murderer. He killed his brother. He didn't follow the law. He lied to you. Hey dude, where's Cain? Or where's Abel? Well, I don't know. I mean, even though, even though I just murdered him in cold blood and that's singed into my brain, but I don't know where he is. What? And then he, then he answers arrogantly. What, you know, was it my day to watch him? That kind of thing. Why would God protect him? And that's exactly what Genesis 4.15 says. And the Lord said unto him, Oh, all you people are going to go want to slay Cain. Right? All you people, because why? Once again, to seek revenge for the Lord. I'll kill him. 
Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. He's going to protect Cain now. Well, why? Why? Well, we'll see. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. So in other words, I'm, even, though, even though Cain broke the law, transgressed against me, murdered his brother, I'm going to set a mark upon him and saying, if any of you guys go and kill him, you're going to be cursed sevenfold. Okay? That's, the, that's what he's saying. So why? Why would God do this? Well, because vengeance is God's, not yours. Who, when Cain, if Cain was going to, who can fix your own sins? When you transgress, when you screw up, when you transgress, when you screw up, when you sin, can you come to Marty Leeds and Marty Leeds is going to fix it for you? No, absolutely not. You are the one that must recognize the things you've done, that, you know, the, 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 the faulty assumptions, the wrong paths you went down, the stupid shit you did. You have to recognize those and you have to repair those through your own spiritual pursuit. You cannot look outside, right, externally and fix those things. It has to be done in here. It has to be, a, your own spiritual quest is on you. So if somebody was going to go and slay Cain, would that help anything? No. It's like, I'll do it. I'll, I'll go kill Cain and then God's going to reward me. No. Well, as we'll, as we'll see, it's only going to get worse for you. So revenge, vengeance is the Lord's and the Lord's only. Okay. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries. God's going to, God will be doling out the punishments. Not you. And I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people, Israel. Vengeance, and they shall know my vengeance. And I will execute great vengeance upon them with furious rebukes. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall lay my vengeance upon them. Now, a lot of times people are thinking, this God, this God seems like a total dick. You know, it's like, what's he doing? No, what he's saying is, I gave you free will. You get the opportunity. You're going to go the path of it. You're going to go the path of Christ or the Antichrist. You're going to go the path of Abel or, or Cain. Oh, look, Psalm 94.1. Oh, Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth. Oh, God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show myself. Who, where does vengeance belong? It's riddled all over the Bible. God, not you. I'm going to go seek revenge for what Cain did. No, you got to worry about yourself. You got to figure out, you got to maintain that balance. You have to figure out your own transgressions, your own sins. And you have to be responsible for them. Why else would it, is it not okay for everybody to go and kill Cain? Because two wrongs don't make it right. They never do. Okay? Um, should I say this? Yeah. Let me give you an example. Some people are not going to like this. I'm probably going to get people hating on me for this. Okay? Um, because if maybe, maybe what I'm saying does it sounds like, well, you haven't been in that situation and you're not being empathetic and things like that. No, I'm absolutely empathetic or sympathetic because obviously what I'm about to say, I can't be empathetic for. 
Um, I absolutely understand some of the absolute trauma and horrendous things that happen to people in life, right? And I can only imagine being raped would be an absolutely traumatic, terrible, terrible experience. I can only imagine that. But if if a woman was raped, somebody went and broke the golden rule and and absolutely destroyed that woman's, you know, you know, once again, uh, all sorts of things that come from rape, the psychological torture, the, the, you know, the physical, all of that sort of stuff. And that woman was impregnated by her rapist. You already had a negative, right? The guy came and broke the golden rule, held her down, raped her, impregnated her. You savage piece of shit. Now, if that woman was going to say, well, I'm impregnated by this rapist, I'm going to go kill this baby. Does that, does that, now the negative's already been done. If you put, pile on another negative there, would that make a positive? Would that, would that, if you, if you killed that baby, would that make the rape go away? No. No. And that's, once again, that's a, I mean, I could have probably given you another example because that's a very, very testy one with some people. But no, it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it okay because maybe that child that would be born, give it up for adoption. You know how many people like my, uh, I know people, I'll just say that, that would love a child, that do not have the ability to have children that would love a child, but they can't spend $60,000 to go down. And, and, you know, if you would give that child up, do you know how happy you would make another human being? You know how much love and care they would give that child? If any idea, you murdering that child does not make it right. So two wrongs don't make a right. That's the lesson. In life, two negatives don't make a positive, except in math. <laughs> double, double negatives turn positive only in math and formal logic. In life, things just get worse and worse and worse and worse. And that is the story of Cain. He, guys, I'm going to put a mark upon him. By the way, a mark, I don't know if I have this here, but a mark, when you look up the etymology, means sign. It's got, you know, boundary, sign, or symbol. In other words, I am going to put a sign. I'm going to put a symbol out there to say this. Two wrongs don't make a right. He, Cain, had already transgressed against me. He already broke my law, and now it's reverberated into nature and the cosmos itself. You going to kill him is not going to make it right. It's already on Cain's shoulders. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. So everybody get what I was saying there. Thank you for joining me again. Once again, I appreciate that. Um, I'm going to try. I don't know what's going on with my internet. I don't know if it's a computer issue or what, but um, I don't know. I'm going to try to get to the bottom of that because that's, let's just say that's quite frustrating. Okay, so, but I will leave vengeance to the Lord. Okay, so I was I was talking about um, two wrongs don't make a right, and I had the revenge quotes up. Okay, thank you, thank you for helping me. Um, let me just say this again. So why is it not okay to go and slay Cain? Why is God protecting him? Because revenge, vengeance is the Lord's. Okay, everybody has to deal with their own karmic. Right, their own, all the things that, in this sense, all the things that they've done on Earth, they have to, they have to deal with. Okay, you can't go fix it for them. Okay, let me say this again: the greatest revenge is compassion. Revenge is starting a fire you can't control. He that has revenge in his power and does not use it is the greater man. Before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. Okay, 
what are all these quotes saying, right? Revenge is not the way. Revenge is not the way. Thank you, Chelsea Chase. Thank you so much. Okay. And so I said it like this. So we look at revenge. Let's look at let's look let's look at like this. God has given us the balance. This is what this whole story is really about, right? How there's an eternal balance and then man has the ability to knock through your own actions that internal balance that God has given you the ability to knock it off. Once again, the free will, I can and I am able what are you supposed to seek? Unity, a balance, ultimately, right? And that's why Cain and Abel is an anagram for I balance. So if what happened, Cain came, was a perfect balance, and Cain, I did a negative one. That's what he did. Okay, mathematical metaphor here. So if you go and try to say, well, I'm going to seek revenge and I'm going to kill Cain, for on behalf of God. He's like, no, you don't want to do that. Vengeance and revenge is God's. Okay? Then what happens? Well, then there's going to be, uh, you know, oh, say, I'm going to go kill Cain. Well, what'd you do? Well, you just did a, a negative one. Instead of, instead of just, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, now, there's already been the transgression. There's already been the cosmic sin that's etched into the fabric of the world itself. Right? And... Now you're going to go throw another negative one on there. And actually, like I said, um, uh, as I was saying, I don't know if I caught, uh, you guys caught this, but actually Jordan Peterson did a really great job of explaining this. And, he, and I think he, the metaphor he brought up uh, or the example he brought up was like mafia families, right? Oh, it's like, oh, you killed my brother? No. Oh. I'm going to go kill both of your brothers. And then what happens? Then that guy does that to seek revenge, to try to even it out when it's not your... It's not your duty to even it out. That's God's revenge. God shall seek the vengeance, right? So, oh, he killed my brother. I'm going to go kill two of your brothers. Then what that, what's that family going to do? He killed two of our brothers. I'm going to go kill two of your brothers and your grandfather. Then what does the family over here do? I'm going to go kill, right? Then what do you have? Oh, I'm going to go kill your brother. I'm, oh, I'm going to kill your brother. Oh, really? You, you, you could have killed all of us? Well, I'm going to go kill more. So what do we have now? We no longer have that balance. We no longer left vengeance and revenge with the Lord. We took it into our own hands. And God's saying, that is not the way. The mark that God, everybody can hear me, right? Mark, God put a mark on Cain. He put a mark on Cain. Mark, if you look up the etymology, it means boundary, it means sign, and it means symbol. So what does Cain become? He becomes a symbol of what? I'll say it this way. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And what is he? Christ is our shepherd. What is Abel? He's the shepherd. So in other words, Cain or Abel was rewarded by God. He, res he was, had respect for the offerings to the Lord. So what does Abel represent? The way. So what's Cain? Not the way. Okay. Does everybody get that? said I got about like 10 minutes here. Sorry for my internet issues. It is what it is and it ain't what it ain't and there's nothing you can do about it. Okay, so now we got, so we understand that. So now we understand what the story of Cain and Abel is. We see the, the, the astrological, you know, assignments that we can make to this. We, we understand the language. We understand why he's off, you know, off the face of the earth, from the face of the earth and in the earth. You know, we understand the star study. We understand who Cain, uh, uh, Adam and Eve are. We understand who the serpent is. 
Okay, we understand all of this other stuff. We understand the eternal balance that we must seek on earth, right? So this is what it says, and, and this sort of ends it. Um, and like I said, when we do more Genesis, I'll continue on with the chapter, but I just really want to touch on Cain and Abel today and hit on some of these main points. So Genesis 4.16 says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. So now he's no longer in the presence of the Lord. And when you're in the presence of the Lord, that means you're in the way. You're in the fluidity of the Lord. God is in the present. What is Christ? Christ is the preserver. He's the present. You're no longer with Christ. You've decided through your own actions and own free will, and my punishment is greater than I can bear. You know why? Because you decided that you were not going to live with the way, the truth, and the life. You were not going to have the presence of Christ. And now, I'm going to tell you that. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. Then it goes on to say, and Cain knew his wife. So now, here we have Abel's dead, and now we have Cain knew his wife. We don't even know. It doesn't even say who his, who his wife is, right? And then she conceived and bare Enoch. So now we have a lineage of people coming from the guy who transgressed God, which is what? It's another way of saying, myth, you know, uh, mythically in this sense, what? Well, we're all sinners. We've all fought. This is genealogy after this, right? We've all fallen, just, just, just as it says in the story of Adam and Eve, right? They transgressed, and then we fell from this paradisical place. And now it's even telling you more. And why did we fall? Because we continued not to follow God's laws. And this is the genealogy from this. Okay, and then it says this. So Genesis 4.16, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt which means lived in the land of Nod, in the land of Nod. What is Nod? Well, Nod is to lower or raise one's head slightly and briefly, which is exactly what countenance is. Remember the term countenance means this. When you nod, you do this, right? So Nod, he, he dwelt in the land of Nod. He dwelt in the land of countenance. He dwelt in, what does it mean to nod? Well, how many people say nod, nod off? Well, I was nodding off right? Lower or raise one head slightly and briefly. Why is it say, why is nod a term related to sleep? Because what do you do? Like this, right? So having, have one's head fall forward when drowsy or asleep. Okay. So Cain went to dwell in the land of not being awake. He's no longer in the presence of the light and light of Christ. He's asleep. He hasn't awoke. And now he's dwelling in the land of the people that are asleep. Who's asleep? You and I and everybody that comes down here. And what's our process? Got to bring our flock home. Got to wake up. He went and dwelt in the land of Nod. This is a Robert Lewis. You guys probably know this one. Robert Lewis uh, Stevenson. It's a poem. It's the land of Nod. You know, very famous poet, right? American poet. Um, From breakfast on through all the day, at home among my friends I stay, but every night I go abroad, afar into the land of Nod. All by myself I have to go. Just like Cain. Who seeks, who has to fix the air in his ways? Are you going to be able to do it? Nope. Cain's got to do it. 
All by myself I have to go, with none to tell me what to do, all alone beside the streams and up the mountainside of dreams. The strangest things are there for me, both things to eat and things to see, and many frightening sights abroad, till morning in the land of Nod. Try as I like to find the way, I never can get back by day, nor can remember plain and clear the curious music that I hear. So the land of Nod. And as we said, Nod means to fall asleep. Okay? Now, what's interesting about this is this is where you are. You're in the land of dreams. You're in the land of imagination. You're in the land of, right, sleepy sleepy. You know how you know this, and we'll cover this again when we do Genesis. Um, am I still on? I am. Ooh, exciting. Exciting. So this is Genesis 2, 21, I think. Um, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh inside thereof, and of course made Eve. And then Adam is saying, uh, it says that the third, you know, you know, a few lines later, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman uh, because she was taken out of man. Woman basically just means a man with a womb, by the way. And therefore she shall leave his father. And then Adam and Eve, they were both naked and uh, the man and his wife were not ashamed. But wait a second. This is all happening while Adam is asleep. So is... Um, this guy's just walking right next to me and he sees me talking to a... <laughs> He's like, what what that guy's doing? He has no idea I'm performing a church service. <laughs> Hilarious. Anyway, so Adam caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. But he never woke. All of this stuff is happening. So is this happening in Adam's dream now? Are we in Adam's dream? Because Eve was recreated while Adam was sleeping, and Adam never woke up. So is Eve, what's happening here? And the Lord caused, Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And at no point does it say, and he woke up. And while he's sleeping, all of this stuff is happening. Eve is created. A, a woman is created. Okay, well, was, he, was she created in the dream of Adam? Where are we right now? Are we in the dream of Adam? Or are we looking at, or are we just supposed to assume that, well, of course he woke up. Well, it doesn't say that. Now, in the next chapter, it does say this in Genesis 3-7. After all of this stuff is happening... Adam is saying, is talking. He's like, oh, this is the bone of my bone. And now he's got a wife and they're like, you know, cleaving to one another and they're both naked. So Eve is created in Adam's dream while he's deep sleep. Then it says in Genesis 3, 7, and the eyes of them were both opened. Okay, but wait a second. Eve was created in Adam's dream. So you could say at this point, then they woke up. Okay, well, if Adam, if they woke up, in other words, if Adam was in a deep sleep and all this stuff was happening in the sleep and then Adam woke up, wouldn't Eve just go, just disappear? Because Eve was created while he was sleeping. Does this, is, is this some sort of thing that they're saying that he's on anesthesia? He was putting on, the sleep was anesthesia and then he had to put, God had to perform this thing where he pulled Eve out of what's going on. This is all language to help you understand that we are in a dream world. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Both of them were opened. Wait a second. Eve was created while he was sleeping. 
So is Eve part of Adam's dream? Are we part of Adam's dream? Do you know how you know that this that we are in the dream of God? This is we are this is the in, incarnation that we're in right now is a big dream. And we're in God's head. You know how you know this? <clears throat> so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Once again, a reflection of the story. While, while Adam was asleep, what was created? A man and a woman. Now, Genesis 1 says this. So God created man in his own image. And then it says it again, just to reiterate, just to let you know. In the image of God created he him. Image comes from the word or is a, is a root of the, is the root of the word imagination. Image means an artificial representation that looks like a person or thing. We are an artificial representation that looks like God. You know why? Because the material world is fleeting, passing. What's always, what's eternal? What's always, what's always here? God. We are just a, an artificial representation. The faculty of the mind which forms and manipulates images is the imagination. To form an image, imaginary. To form an image or represent an image, a likeness. To copy, to imitate. In other words, it's not real. So Genesis 1.1 says, I created you in my imagination. And you're artificial. Then we see Adam fell into deep sleep and then Eve was created while he was sleeping. And then did they wake up in the dream? Well, even if they woke up in Adam's dream and something, well, guess what? We're still in the dream of God. So now let's go back to Genesis 4, 16, right? So now uh, Cain went out of the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of sleeping. He, he, he's now dwelling in the land of dreams. So what is this? It's like it's a dream within a dream, within a dream, within a dream. It's like reality is a dream within a dream within a dream, right? One of the guys I, I, I started studying when I was like about 16 years old and just ate up was Edgar Allan Poe. I used to love Edgar Allan Poe, right? The, the devil in the belfry and all this, all the great, great, right? So um, he, has a, he has a poem called a dream. I think it's called a dream, a dream within a dream. Take this kiss upon the brow and in parting from you now, thus much let me avow. You are not wrong who deem that my days have been a dream. Yet if hope is flown away in a night or in a day, in a vision or in none, it is therefore the less gone? All what we see or dream, all what we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. I stand amid the roar of a surf-tormented shore and I hold upon my hand grains of the golden sand. How few, how yet, yet how they creep through my fingers to the deep while I weep, while I weep. Oh God, can I not grasp them with a tighter clasp. Oh God, he's like trying to hold on. Oh God, can I not save one from the pitless, pitiless wave? Is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream? What is the story of Cain and Abel? What is one of the aspects of the story of Cain and Abel telling you about? Like I said, loads there. Loads and loads. There's some stuff we haven't even touched on yet either as well. But uh, it's letting you know that, uh, you know, row, row, row your boat. Gently down the stream. 
Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. We are God's dream. And he gave us free will within his dream to say, hey, are you going to stay balanced? God, what is the story of Cain and Abel? What is it teaching you about? What's the fundamental of this story? Two things it's telling you about. Ultimately about what? Good and evil. Materiality and spirituality. Pleasing God, not pleasing God. Following God's laws, not following God's laws. It's ultimately about a story about what? As we saw, it's a story about when we do that anagram. It's a story about, hey, I got to find balance. I, balance, balance, I, right? What else is the story about? The fundamental of the story is what? What is the entire story about? It's about the transgression of sin. It's about, it's a story there to teach you about sin. Okay, that's what it is. Just so you guys know, Abel's dead. Goes on to say in the rest of the verse, Abel's dead. And then Adam and Eve had another son. His name was Seth. Okay? So we have Cain, Abel, and Seth. Seth only appears when Abel's dead. Okay? So what do we have here? Cain, Abel, and Seth... Cain and Abel was the two characters that you were <laughs> you were introduced to. Is I balance. Cain, Abel, and Seth, the three children from Adam and Eve, it's an anagram for teachable sin. But of course, Abel was dead. Right? We only had Cain and Seth, so we cross out Abel there, and what do we have? The entire story is about how God is teaching you about sin. And how to what? Maintain your balance down here. Cain, Abel, Seth, you take away the Abel. And what's the story of Cain telling you about? What's the story of Seth, which is a reference to uh, the Egyptian god, Set, who's the antithesis of Horus? What's, it, what's the story trying to do? It's trying to teach you about sin. That's exactly what the story is doing. Okay. Did I say Cain's children? I'm sorry. Did I say that? See, this is me screwing up. Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. Thank you if I'm saying this incorrectly. Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel just as we went through. Abel died, and then they ended up having Seth, right? And it says here, let me go, let me just show this. So we have three children, Cain, Abel, and Seth that come from Adam and Eve. I'm sorry if I if I screwed that up or if I said that incorrectly. Sometimes that happens. So here we have an Adam uh, knew his wife. It says here, oh, it even goes to show you further. Uh, Genesis 4, 24 in the same chapter says this. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, if Lamech, because what happened is Lamech here uh, said, for I've slain a man. So Lamech, which is, you know, in this genealogy goes and kills somebody. And so what is it? What is, what is, what happens? What does it say? You are, the lesson is already imprinted into the fabric of creation. And what'd you do? You went and did it again. So now what? 
Oh, okay, if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, I already told you the lesson. You already learned the lesson. Now what? Well, now Lamech is going to be avenged seventy and sevenfold. Why? Because you already learned the lesson. What'd you do? You just kept knocking that balance off. Okay, then it says here, let me go this, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, who Cain slew. And after all this, then began, after all this sinning and transgressing, transgressing, all of this sinning, what happened? Then men were like, oh God, I guess we can't look to the material world. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. They started looking on high for that truth, for that way, that balance, that morality. And they, wanted, they, they started bringing their flock home. Okay? The whole thing is there to teach you about sin and balance. Okay? Does everybody get that? Oh, no, you didn't. I'm asking if uh, did Cain have any children. Gotcha. Yeah, he knew his wife. We don't know who his wife is. So, okay. All right, I think that's going to do it for me. I hope you guys all learned something today. Um, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, once again, we'll probably uh, revisit that again because there's so much more there. Um, just so you guys know, Amor has another teaching over on Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. And it's good to see that he's actually getting more um, more clicks and more people showing up to the channel. I know the last video he did, somebody must have shared it. It wasn't, wasn't I mean, I share all of his stuff, but... Um, he ended up getting, I don't know, almost like uh, 1,700, 2,000 people showing up to the last video on um, biblical non-duality. And so he's doing that again uh, this morning. And this is the cleansing of the temple. Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. Uh, the teaching will be on biblical non-duality. That's exactly what we're talking about today. In, in one sense, it's transcending the earthly plane of the good and evil and finding the eternal metaphysical, spiritual balance that God has created, okay? So the cleansing of the temple, Gnostic Revelation Mysteries, head on over there, and he will have a new teaching and preaching for you, okay? Guys, uh, I want to thank you so much for joining me today, and I'm sorry about my uh, internet issues. I'm, there's, I don't know what to do about it, to be honest. <laughs> it's just life out in the sticks. It is what it is. So, um, all right, thank you so much. Great service, thank you. Um, and I'm sorry for all the people that are no longer here and are hating on me now because I, you know, popped their Mandela effect bubble or whatever. I'm sorry about that. I don't mean to, I'm not trying to cause any heartache and pain and, and things like that. That's not what I'm doing here. We're, we're, we're truth seeking and we're going to use every tool in our chest to do that truth seeking. Okay. So, uh, just so you guys know, if you guys want, you can get a pop, a uh, copy of the Bible. Um, that you know that, that we use here at the church. Um, you can get it imprinted. That whole thing. It's a um, once again, it's a little package with the rosary and stuff like that. If you don't want to, if you want to just get a copy of this Bible, once again, I provide the link right on my website. Don't give me your money. Just go pick one up yourself. I'd much rather you just have a Bible, you know, <laughs> a King James version of the Bible in your hand, than you give me one cent of your money. Doesn't you know that's not what this is about. So, okay. 
All right. Um, if you want to become a member, you can become a member for five bucks a month, 14 quarterly or 54 for the year. You can just stop on over to GnosticAcademy.org. That's GnosticAcademy.org. Uh, monthly tithing. Five bucks a month, 14 quarterly or 54 for the year. And of course, there's books, podcasts, uh, interviews. Uh, Marty Lee's Mathematical Radio Hour is there. And of course, like I said, this um, this week, Marty Lee's songbook will be going out. Um, the new uh, updated version of the Peacock's Tales will be go- will be going out. And then I'm working on um, once again combining volumes one through three, Pi in the English Alphabet, into one uh, new book. I'm working on that. And like I said, lots more uh, on the hit parade that's coming up. So that's going to do it. Okay, guys, may you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. All right, I will see you next Sunday, and hopefully I'll have my internet situation figured out. I'm sorry. Thank you all for for hanging with me and the technical issues and stuff like that. It is what it is. Um, that's going to do it. Okay. Um... Have yourself a wonderful week, and next week, like I said, maybe we'll, I think we'll, we'll probably do Genesis now, okay? We'll probably do Genesis 1. I think that's probably what we'll do, but um, don't quote me because there's lots of things on the hit parade. There's lots of things I want to cover, and it just depends what I feel like doing that week, so. Um, sign up. You can go and sign up for the newsletter. I put out a newsletter every Saturday to tell you guys what we're going to be discussing on Sunday, so if you want to know what that is, just sign up at the newsletter. Um, if you don't, if you don't want to hear from me, just just unsubscribe. You don't have to write me as people have and said, "Oh, your brother Marty now, uh, I'm out of here." You don't have to you don't have to tell me that. That's fine. I understand. There's no you know, no hatred or anything like that. Just, you know, there's the door. God bless you. I, I wish you well on your journey. Um, this is only for a few a few hundred people that actually watch this. So, and that's who I'm addressing and that's who I'm speaking to because um I appreciate everybody that stops by and has the patience and is willing to to do the due diligence and actually listen and consider these things, okay? It's something I've dedicated my entire life to, obviously, and I ain't stopping anytime soon, okay? Because we've got a lot to cover. So um, great to see all your lovely faces, even though I'm not seeing your faces. Um, I appreciate it. Okay, guys, as always, many blessings and much love to all.